You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, podcast listeners. This is Randy Bolander. Hope you are doing well. Welcome to the Third Cup of Coffee. If you haven't gotten yours yet, we'll wait. Go ahead. Put us on pause. Pour the cup. You'll be glad you did. And this is going to be worth that third cup of coffee. Even for those of you who normally don't have a third, I think this might be the one that would inspire you to have that third cup of coffee. Great day uh, lined up for you. I have uh, quite a bit to jumble into the next maybe 30 minutes or so. We had a fantastic weekend. Oh, my word. We did uh, church live and in person with real people and real musicians and real instruments out at a barn out in Peculiar, Missouri. Now, that was not the original intention. We were going to be out on a hillside at a beautiful amphitheater that we have used in the past. But when we get out there, we are looking to set up, and the forecast was for rain about 1 o'clock. And I said, ah, we'll, we'll be done. We'll be out of here. The musicians, however, were a little concerned. Um, apparently, their gear is expensive, and when it gets wet, uh, it's not good. And so they're trying to talk me into using the barn rather than the amphitheater, and I'm kind of resisting because I kind of want to do it outside. And as we're standing there talking, it sprinkles just a little bit. Now, it doesn't really rain. It just sprinkles for a second, and it stops, but it's enough to completely suck the wind out of my argument that we should do it outside. Like, I'm not winning this debate whatsoever. So we go ahead and we set up in this barn, and when I say barn, if you're thinking... um, you know, Mary and Joseph in the manger. That, no, it's not like that. It's it's a wedding venue. It's beautiful, it, like gorgeous concrete floors and beams, and it looks like Pinterest exploded in this place. And so we set up in there and just had the most fantastic morning. Worship was phenomenal. Uh, Rachel and Wallace Fat Gutu and band played, and people just entered in, met a bunch of people that I'd not met before. Then, as I am preaching... About two minutes before I finish, you know, you, those of you that preach, you know, you're, you're on the glide plane. This thing's coming down. It's it's going to land. As I'm starting to land the thing, this gentle rain starts to fall on the roof of this barn, and it just sounds awesome. Now, simultaneously, I'm thinking, okay, it's a good thing we were not out do- outdoors. That would have been bad. Last amen, it's over. We pray for folks. And about two minutes later, a wind blows through the walls of this thing. I mean, there are no walls. It's just open. But the wind just goes nuts, and it pelts us with rain. It would have been the worst day ever if had we been outside. But we weren't. We were inside, and that was good. So that was fun. And if you're interested in that, we're going to do that again in two weeks. October 11th, we're going to be back out at the barn at Riverbend. We're just going straight to the barn. I'm not even going to mess with the amphitheater this time. But it is going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it was just good to see people. You know, we, we had a joke because most of us have met on Zoom. We said, uh, go to your neighbor and say, oh, I didn't know that's what you look like, you know, because you don't. You just kind of get the, the two-inch square head spot. So it was fun. It was fun. Join us on the 11th of October. There will be more info in a day or two on thebridgekc.church. We would love to have you join us that Sunday morning. Now, before I get into some teaching, which I do not have a recording of for Sunday, so I'm just going to kind of walk through it uh, live with you. But before I get into that, I want to tell you about something I'm working on. I am working with Modern Day Missions, which is a missions organization out of Texas, to produce some podcasts about people who are influential in the area of missions around the world. And one of the very first interviews I've done 
has been with our dear friend Lou Engle. Now, most of you know Lou as having poured his life into the United States, into praying that God would move in America. What you don't know is that his children have scattered around the world. He has poured himself into this nation. His kids have gone to the world. And so I wanted to kind of hear his story. And of course, we've known Lou for years and, and close friends, but even so, there were things that came up in this interview that uh, maybe I had never heard or hadn't heard in so long that it was com- almost completely new to me. Now, that interview, the episode that I'm talking about, has not been posted yet. It will be up on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I would think, in the next couple of days. There is a trailer for the series that is already there at Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and if you search for Missions in the Modern Day, you can find it, and you can subscribe, and then they will let you know when the first episode drops. But I just wanted to pull out a little snippet to give you an idea of some of the uh, just unbelievable stories that Lou told when we sat down and talked recently. In the 1700s, my forefathers uh, fled religious persecution uh, from Switzerland and came over to Pennsylvania. They had a one-year-old boy and 50 kids were on the ship. I've read this in our history. And and, uh, a disease swept the ship and 49 children uh, died of the 50. And one lived, his name was Jacob Engel, The mothers who lost their children gathered around um, Anna England and said, surely your son has a great destiny. He was the founder of the Brethren in Christ denomination in America, and I am the eighth generation of preachers from that line. How many people do you know that when you ask them about their heritage and ministry, start the story with, well, back in the 1700s. What an amazing story. Go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Missions in the Modern Day. Again, that interview with Lou should be out in the next couple of days. And then there will be one about weekly uh, of people who have been working in missions and are influential in that realm. I think that, uh, I think you'll enjoy it a lot. If your Bible is nearby, go ahead and grab it. Hit pause if you need to, pour another cup of coffee, and sit down and open to the Gospel of John. I'm going to unpack a little bit about what we talked about on Sunday morning out at the barn. We did not capture audio from that, so I just thought we'll teach it through live on the podcast today. Now, if you're looking for somebody to tell you that you don't have anything to worry about, I'm not your guy today, okay? I'm too honest, and you're too smart. USC Law School professor Alan Sachs says that in her experience, the words calm down almost inevitably have the opposite effect on the person that you're speaking to. Some of you have told people that. Calm down. It never really works. Especially at our current place in history. You know, we've actually got every logical reason to be encountering some level of anxiety. Anxiety makes a little sense right now. We're months into a pandemic. And the secondary wave of fear and emotion that comes with that, in spite of whatever actually the pandemic is doing, it almost becomes a secondary issue. The panic takes a life of its own. On top of that, we're facing the most contentious election environment of our lifetimes. It's hard to imagine an outcome of this election that doesn't include some level of unrest on one or both sides. And in the midst of that pandemic, in the contentious election, we've got an opening on the Supreme Court that will influence the interpretation of our Constitution for the rest of most of our lifetimes. Most of us will not outlive the decisions that will be made in the next 40 days. Are you anxious yet? 
Some of you weren't until you started listening to this podcast. In the middle of all that, you're still doing life. You're paying bills. You're raising children. Still trying to figure out work and school and how to connect to the printer. Did we pay that bill online or did we mail a check? Now, anxiety may not be helpful, but it could be understood. Even if you know in your heart that God is faithful. We've been taught to lean into God. You know, we've been taught Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar like wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk, not be faint. And our heart says, yes. And our mind goes, nah. And for many, many of us in the dark of night, all of that pressure comes back. Many people, sensing the press of being home, these past few months, have gone to great lengths to make their home a place that they'd want to be. They've gone out, they bought the 70-inch television, the home entertainment center, the sound bar. They've gone and bought the home gym and installed it in their basement because it's easier to not go to the basement than it was to not drive down the road to go to the gym. They've done whatever it takes to pass the time, and when the time is passed and the workout is over and the movie is finished, they sit in the dark and they worry. And they ask questions like, Am I doing this right? Are my kids going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? In one week in June, 40% of adults reported to be concerned about their own mental health or were actively abusing substances just to get by. Now, let me tell you, there's more to your walk with God than your physical situation. In fact, all of those things can be in a shambles, but you can still be alive on the inside The Bible speaks to our internal and external situations. God intervenes in the physical world, but he also speaks to our inner life. In fact, while he has compassion for us in our physical circumstances, Jesus uses his most intimate tones for what he offers our inner man. To a person who sits in the dark and worries, to the person who lives in fear, to the person whose heart is dry and tired and feels like they're ready to quit, with people like that in mind, Jesus speaks. John 7, 38, he said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Some translations say out of his belly. The message is the same. Real life comes from the inside out. All those who follow Jesus have accessible to them a vibrant inner life. Circumstances can vary widely, But the water of life flowing from within you is enough to carry you and sustain you. Now, if you're looking for circumstances to empower you to overcome, you're going to be at the mercy of circumstances for the rest of your life. Jesus said, I want to do something in you that transcends circumstances. I want to put a source of power in you. John, the disciple that the Bible calls the beloved one because of his deep friendship with Jesus, often spoke about the idea that life and fulfillment and even amounting to anything that mattered was never external. It was always a result of what was happening inside us by the power of God. John understood the value of an internal source of life for you. It meant that you could thrive in any circumstances. He records something Jesus said, and it was the beginning of a thread that John thought and wrote about his entire life. He wrote about it in the Gospel of John. He writes about it later in 1 John. John 15, 4 and 5, he writes, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, 
he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. In this season of pressure, our society is pressed into perfecting the place where they're going to spend all of their time, building their house. John challenges us in regard to who and what we're going to spend our time with and doing. John records Jesus' invitation to come and abide with him. Now, the idea of abiding does not just mean living with. To some, an abode is where you live, and you abide with who you live with. You abide in your abode. It's not that simple. Abiding is way more complex than where you live and who you live with. Abiding actually means coming into an alignment with and throwing off everything that is contrary to the one you want to abide with. Some of you fell in love, and you brought attitudes and behaviors and norms into a relationship that were incompatible with the person that you fell in love with. And the challenge was laid before you. If you want to stick around, you need to learn to abide together. Your attitudes, your behaviors, and your norms had to line up. Some people are morning people, and those people marry night people. And in order to abide, they've got to figure it out and come into alignment with one another. Now, maybe you met middle ground with your mate and you compromised. You gave a little and you got a little. But be advised, God isn't compromising with anybody. If you want to abide in him, you're the one who makes the adjustments. Abiding with Jesus means taking daily inventory of your own desires and thoughts and passions and habits and asking the question, does this line up with the one who abides with me? You know, Jesus didn't send his Holy Spirit to live in you to haunt you as a Holy Ghost, but to bear witness to truth and to woo you into alignment with the Father. John 14, 16, and 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be with you. In that abiding spirit serves to help you make a million judgment calls a day, to nudge your heart to the right or the left through a wonderful thing that we call conviction. Now, you can fight conviction. It's your right. Or you can choose to abide and invite the conviction of God in your life. Let me just say, if you're not regularly having your motives, your thoughts, and your desires checked by the Holy Spirit, you're not listening to Him. So you're saying, Randy, you actually invite conviction? I actually do. I do this morning inventory thing. I've just started doing it recently. I ask myself four questions in the morning about the day before. And the reason I ask them in the morning is, at night, I'm still too emotionally invested in what I did that day, and I'm not very honest with myself, so I kind of have to sleep on it. And the next morning, I ask myself, did my mind rest on anything that made you uncomfortable, Lord? Did my eyes linger on pleasures that were not intended for me? That's not always just of a sexual nature. There are things in the world that attract your attention. Oh, look, shiny objects, and they're not for you right now, and we spend too much time looking at them. Did I say anything that grieved the heart of God yesterday? Then I ask, did I treat anyone made in God's image as if they were not? Now, that idea of did my mind rest on anything that made you uncomfortable, Lord, 
oftentimes we think it's things like anger. Oh, we, you know, we blew up at somebody. No, sometimes it's as simple as fear. Recently, I asked that question, and the Lord showed me inside. You, you spent a better part of yesterday afraid of something. And the Lord said, I was not afraid of that. If you want to abide with me, you can't live in fear. It wasn't aligned with God, and to abide with him, I needed to make the adjustment. So why invite conviction? Is that so he can catch us doing wrong? No, it's so he can move our hearts to do right, to stay in alignment with the Father and abide with him and him with me. When we find ourselves in alignment with Jesus to the best of our understanding, we gain tremendous confidence. Right now, we're struggling in this season because of our failure of learning how to abide, to bring our hearts into agreement with God's purposes for us and our families. And it's causing us undue anxiety and worry because we're not abiding with Him and we feel very alone. We are struggling because there are parts of our heart that, while we love God, fight against His leadership. And to invite the Holy Spirit to convict us, to bring our lives into alignment with Him, brings us great confidence. 1 John 3.24 says, Whoever keeps His commandments, whoever allows conviction to enter into their heart and makes the adjustment, abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. You know, people tend to think that they can multitask better than they can. Most people think they can do several things at once, and if you're watching them, they realize they're not doing anything very well. I can handle about one big idea or task at a time, and the idea that I have been mulling over for the past two weeks is this. Do I abide in Christ? Is my heart, my inner man, aligned with what he is doing, and am I experiencing that inner source of power and energy and life that he promised to those who abide with him. You know, last weekend, we hosted Jason Upton for Zoe's house. And uh, talking with Jason and being with him always just kind of moves me. For days after he's here, my heart is just stirred. He has that effect on me. So after spending Friday night with him and dropping him off at the Airbnb late that night, I went home, I fell asleep, and it was that sleep that uh, my dad used to call the sleep of the dead you know, where you're just zonked. My heart is full, my body is tired, and I fall asleep. Somewhere in the middle of the night, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was sitting in the front of a small house. I was sitting in the, in the living room. And it's not the house that we live in now, but I knew in the dream it was our house. Kelsey was there in the living room with me, and I was doing something for the family. I was paying bills, I was taking care of insurance, whatever it was, I, w- I was being responsible. I remember that. And as I'm working there, I I get up and I leave the room for a minute. When I come back, Kelsey mentions that the guy who is installing the shelves has come and he's downstairs in the basement. Now, that bothered me because I had not invited anybody to come and install shelves. I knew something was going on that shouldn't be going on. And so I went to the basement to check it out. When I got to the basement, I found a man down there with a backpack, and he's cramming something in the backpack. And I confront him and I say, what, what are you doing? And he doesn't answer me. And I know that he's stolen something because he's so quick to zip up the backpack and he's trying to keep it from me. So I start to jostle with the guy, but I was tentative because he was big. He was stronger than I was. I was hoping this would be a battle of words, but it was turning out to be more than that. And as we wrestle for control of the backpack and whatever is in the backpack, 
the dream ends and I wake up. The next morning, I'm pondering what this means. And I'm driving in the car, and I even ask out loud. I say, Jesus, what's in the backpack? Because honestly, there's a lot in my basement that I would not fight anybody over for. I mean, there's stuff I would pay for people to take, but I knew that there was something in the backpack that was valuable. And I sensed the Lord say, Randy, it's your inner life. You need to fight for your inner life, because in the season that we are in, it is in danger of being stolen. Now, 2020 has been a year of hunkering down for all of us. Like you, I've spent the last year taking care of business, doing what needs to be done, thinking, processing, all doing good things. But we can work hard at taking care of our responsibilities, and we can lose our heart. Now, I don't sense that my inner life or my heart was lost, but in working and striving, there have been times over the past year when that creative flame on the inside, the spark of God that meets the fuel of your own desire and roars to flame, it was not igniting like it should. I'd grown weary. Never irresponsible, never in sin, but I've grown weary. Even in trying to do the right things, there have been times when my heart was dry that I have failed to abide in Christ. My thoughts and even my actions found themselves at odds with his. I was not in alignment. Now remember, all of this happened with the best of intentions. In the dream, I was sitting at the table. I was doing something for the good of my family. I was being a good guy. I had just neglected my heart. That dream really speaks to all of us. If you're weary and your inner life with God is not as vibrant as you know it can be, that does not come back to you without a fight. No one keeps that fountain of living water flowing without tending to it. To be tender before God and remain tender takes discipline and it takes fight. And we fight for our hearts because he paid for them. 1 John 4, 13-15 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whatever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God. What an intentional act of commitment. Can you imagine Jesus telling the angels, if that person says yes, I'll abide with him? The angel might say, well, what does he need to prove? Nothing. What does he need to provide? Nothing. All he's got to do is invite me in and I'll turn his world upside down. And if he rejects me later, but he repents, I'll come back and I'll move right in. Some of us are terribly lonely. He did not die for us to carry the weight of the world alone. He died to redeem us and to fill us with his spirit. So in the darkest of night, there is a spring of living water. And we fight for our own hearts because when we abide, we have supernatural confidence before the Lord. 1 John 4, 16 and 17 says, So we have come to know and believe the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in the love of God abides in God, and God abides in him. But this is love perfected, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. What an interesting phrase. As he is, so are we in this world. Well, the obvious question is, how is he? I mean, if we are like that, how is he? If you look through Scripture, we learn how he is. Psalm 110, 
God looks to Jesus. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, says, sit at my right hand until I make enemies of your footstools. So from the beginning of history, he was sitting at the right hand of the Father. Luke twenty two sixty nine. 69, Jesus announces, from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. The early church believed it. Hebrews ten twelve says, when the Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for us, he sat down at the right hand of God. And the invitation to live a life abiding in God is to live a life seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.6, he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Some of you are in fear and you're feeling very alone. And if you were totally honest, you would say you are beginning to lose the fight for your inner man. I'm challenging you. Fight for it. Invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Come into alignment with what he is telling you. He wants you to sit by him, and he will fight for your inner life right alongside you. Thanks for being with us today on the third cup of coffee. If you can, I would love it if you would join us on the 11th down at the barn at Riverbend. Go to thebridgekc.church. Get the details there. Have a great day.